The following program is an original WWE podcast. Coming up, this podcast is now where the big boys play. Well, kind of. We'll be joined by soon-to-be two-time Hall of Famer Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and I am stoked about today's show, about today's guests. This business, this sports entertainment industry, as we all know, is about creating memories and memorable moments. We always hear about these moments that change everything forever. Everybody can argue till the end of time about who their favorite is or what their most important moment was in the history of this business. My guests today are two men who have actually changed the business. I'm talking tangible importance in a way that is still being felt to this very day within the hallowed halls of WWE and beyond. These two men are both set to become two-time WWE Hall of Famers as they are enshrined the Thursday before WrestleMania in Tampa. I cannot wait to get to this interview, so let's not waste any more time. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, welcome to After the Bell, guys. So cool. Hey, yo. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. So obviously, as I mentioned, this is the second induction for both of you. And I want to ask, Scott, you went in as Razor Ramon several years back. Kevin, you went in as Kevin Nash. Was that a personal decision you guys made, or is there any reasoning behind that? I mean, I went in as Kevin Nash because somebody else played the Diesel character. That was just my personal that was just my personal feeling on it. All right. And Scott, was that a choice you made to, well, to go I in mean, as Razor? From my point of view, when I got the phone call from Triple H, uh, I didn't even ask if it was raised with Scott Hall. I just said, yes, sounds great. If it if it means you're going to celebrate me being better than other guys, hell yeah, I'm there. Well, this year we're going to celebrate you guys and your contributions to the business as the NWO. This year you're going to be standing on stage alongside Hulk Hogan and X-Pac 6, Sean Waltman, who went in last year as a member of DX. Does that make this a little more special to be standing beside someone that's been so closely tied to both of your careers? Hey, Pac. Kit Pock is the first back-to-back Hall of Famer. So much love to my buddy Pock, and I know he's he's down at the PC now in Orlando, smarting them young cats up. And he has a vast knowledge of the wrestling business, and any time he spends down there with those kids, they're benefiting. So as the NWO continued to grow, as you looked forward to, to the years, the later years of WCW, the NWO grew exponentially. Is there anybody that you guys, I want to each your individual answers. If there was another member of the NWO or someone you guys view as integral of the success of the group as a whole that could be on stage with you guys, who would it be and why? Scott, I'll start with you. I guess from a fan's point of view, maybe they wouldn't agree, but from somebody who's like behind the curtain, I would think Easy E. I would think Eric Bischoff because the whole thing was his idea. But I guess if you're a viewing fan, you don't see it that way. That's the way I see it. I would I would have Bischoff up there with us. What about you, Kev? I'd have Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan? Yeah, so, because Sullivan was the guy that basically, though it was Eric's idea, Sullivan was the one that made sure, you know, there's always been the equation uh, that uh, if you're a heel, in order for you to be successful, it's like a hot air balloon. And the more too loud inside that that balloon the higher it goes and the, and the more 
you know, viable that, that, that heel entity is. And, and Sullivan just really battled day in, day out to make sure that they didn't take heat off us. And nobody got, got to the NWO. And Sullivan always booked heat, and he continued to book heat. And his booking of that heat is what made the NWO. I want to concur, Corey, I want to concur. Um, Kevin Sullivan, who I'm a huge fan of, it was like what we call back in the day, like a heel booker. And like I've done a pile on what Kev said. Yeah, these guys are hot coming. In. We were hot coming in the door because we came off Vince's TV. We were Razor and Diesel, and what are they doing here? And this is before all these internet. This is before everybody had a cell phone. This is before all this internet stuff was out there. People thought it was real. People thought Vince sent us there to destroy WCW. It, it was a good time was had by all. Uh, and on top of that, two top guys from the WWE came into WCW, and we're going to take over. And the entire and the entire uh, watching nation said, "Oh, oh yeah, those two guys could take on that old company." <laughs> <laughs> Kev, you know the coolest part for me was like, you know, it, at that time, our last show for Vince was Madison Square Garden. You're on top versus HBK in a cage. I work with Triple H, who's just young and coming up. Coming up, he's subbing for Goldust, and I'm semi-main. So, wow, semi-main main event, and we're leaving. We sold out Madison Square Garden, the largest non-pay-per-view show ever at that facility at that time. And that feels good. You know, I'm looking around going, wow, like we did it, and now we're leaving and whew, I had no idea all this stuff was going to work. To me, the only reason it worked because the audience thought Vince sent us there. Now that's the whole thing. Like I went in as Kevin Nash the first time. Like this time, I should I, I should go in as Diesel because if Kevin Nash makes the transfer over to to WCW, it doesn't mean anything. But the fact that that, that Diesel, who was the, the the WWE champion, makes the move, and, and Razor Ramon the 335-time Intercontinental Champion makes a move. <laughs> hey, hey, 336. <laughs> oh, that's right. At one time, it's your Boygan. But, I mean, it's just the fact that, you know, that, 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 that I came into to the WWE meaning nothing. And in, in three years' time, I mean, you know, Vince took, took me in and, and took my stock to that level, so... I mean, so now I, I, well, I believe you, that you, know, know, you came you know, in. You came in being a seven foot badass, and they put you with like one of the top guys in the company, HBK, who happened to be working a red hot angle with me. So, like, I don't think you meant nothing. I think you meant a lot. Well, I mean, but I mean, just walking in the door in the, the tracksuit was, you know, was that was, you know, <laughs> that was money. <laughs> I still, I, I still had, to, I still had a lot of Oz remnants on me. <laughs> Well, you guys raised an interesting point about the NWO sort of hitting before everybody had a cell phone, before the internet had all the information, or before fans really, really clamored for all the information to the extent they do today. In your guys' opinion, do you think the NWO would have worked to the level that it did if it were to take place in 2020? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, well, I'll put it this way. I mean, if, if you take the two top guys at, at WWE right now and, and put them on another company and tell me that doesn't make a difference immediately. I completely agree with you. I just didn't know. I mean, the NWO became a pop culture phenomenon. That that was bigger than the business. I mean, people that didn't even watch wrestling yeah, had. You got to also you see, you got to remember there's, there's so many parameters. Violence, we use aluminum baseball bats on television. Like you, I mean, you can't do that now, <laughs> you know, could you, could you imagine Roman Reigns coming down and smashes somebody in the head with a baseball bat? <laughs> I mean, you know, Brock hits people with their finish on, on the, on the padding outside and it's, it's borderline too violent. So, I mean, it's just, you know, our culture is so different now. And we were, we also, like we had the, we had the advantage of, coming off of that red hot death row West coast rap culture. And we kind of pulled in off. Like there was, there were so many cultural phenomenons going on that we were able to just, as far as pop culture, pick it at its, at its ripest and just kind of pull it into our storylines. There wasn't a whole lot of 35 year old guys wearing their, their bandanas like Tupac back then. No, that's yeah, something you guys just had it. had a lot of freedom to do on your own, or did you have to that you had to have discussions with people uh, about that, or you just did them? Oh, you just put your beard on and went, went went through the curtain. See the cool the cool the cool thing about um, doing live TV all the time. Like I was on the very first Raw. I'm dating myself. I was on the very first Raw, and it was live. And then the following week was taped. And you know when they came in these Monday Night War battles, Bischoff went, "Well, hell, we're going live every." So the cool thing about being on live TV is it's much easier to get to ask for forgiveness than permission. You can always go through the curtain and do whatever you want. And you come back to you go, oh, gee, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I already did what I wanted to do. Thank you very much. I learned that from Shawn Michaels. He says the only time that you have to really watch, you know, the time of your match is if you're last. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Any time before that, you just walk through the curtain, look at the no, guy in the middle. No, you know how it is. Hey, you know how it is. You go to the curtain, that cuts <laughs> you down. Well, you had eight, now you got four. <laughs> if if you ain't on last, we got as long as we want. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and once again, you just come back through the curtain and go, "Sorry, bro. Sorry, man. Sorry, man. We have the people." Not to that point. There's been a lot of stories been told in the years since. Was there any sort of resistance you guys ever had to deal with from anything maybe beyond WCW from Turner or anything? Well, I got sued uh, the that first time. I, the first time I appeared on TV, I, I got sued by WWE, and it went on for five years. But of course, I had that all in my contract where I had people taking care of it. But I knew the first time I showed up, wow, it must be working because Vince is that mad he's suing. Now, you guys talked about being able to, to be cool and have a lot of stuff to draw from. In the later years of WCW, the NWO grew exponentially to the point where everybody and their mother seemed to be in the NWO and their mother's dentist was in the NWO. When you look back at the roster, was there anybody that you look back and go, eh, maybe that guy, we want to exclude him from the Hall of Fame induction? No, I'm really pissed that Horace Boulder's not going to be there. I think Horace should be on, on stage with us. Wow, you're laughing in the guy's face, Corey. What are you? <laughs> Kev, I, I, Kev, let's talk I, about I, this young buck, <laughs> hey, bro. Let's talk about your road to success. You were like, didn't you get hurt at the PC, right? You I did. Hurt. I did. So then, God bless WWE. They stuck with you, and 
You know what a machine they have there. Scott Healing. I think I think it's karma. I, I get to heal everybody on TV behind the microphone, so I, I've had this coming for a long oh my time. God, yeah, you did. Yeah, you do. And you got schooled at it. I hey, did. <laughs> no, you're much better now than you were when you started. You were kind of shaky when you started. Now you're good. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Welcome to pro wrestling, kid. Tore me down to put me, put me back over. Right now, <laughs> right now, Corey's looking at his watch saying, Jesus, I thought the guy had 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't sell, you can't make a comeback, kid. <laughs> I'm bouncing. Love you, Tim. Right. Thanks to Scott Hall for joining the show. I'll be right back with more After the Bell with Kevin Nash. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. All right, so so Kevin, I want to get your opinion on things. I, I know we touched on it briefly about how the, the business has changed and how the fans have changed and perceive things very differently. Do you think... That I mean, to your earlier point about if two or three of the top guys from WWE now left and went to the competition, it could have the same effect of the same magnitude elsewhere. Well, I mean, in all honesty, the competition is so rotten. Absolutely not. I just, I, I just don't see that. I don't see that there's. I don't even like. There's not even competition. What do you think's lacking in the business as a whole? It, 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 business as a whole. There's not, like it, it's very hard to surprise the people. Like when, when Rollins turned, I mean, that was a surprise for me because I, I didn't see that. I mean, there's things you can still do. Number one, there's so much um, coverage now. Right. From the network to like, you'd never, like, I don't, you don't miss anything. Like if, if, if you miss NXT and you got a plane to catch and you got three hours and you just, well, okay, I'll watch NXT and you just pull it up and you, I mean, it's like, with, with, with the streaming, with the network and everything, it's just like, there's nothing. And I think that sometimes people, it's very hard. Like there's not like a, a one person, like a Cena, like there was like, there was always like Steve. Then there was the rock. Then it was Cena. Then there's always kind of a guy. And I think that the, the universe has gotten so large that you can't just have one person or two people, you know, you've got to have several people. You know, because there's so much. If that one person goes down, you've got to have. It's more of a of a team concept than it is an individual concept, and it's just it's just a completely different beast. Well, I agree with you about the the, the amount of coverage and everything. I remember oh, being yeah. as a fan watching just for the Monday Night Wars in particular. Who's the next guy going to join the NWO? What's going to happen on Raw? The, right. The, you miss the element of surprise. I feel like too often where you can't forget about anything because you're constantly hammered over the head with everything that's happening. Is Judy Bagwell going to be able to, 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 to hold on to that tag strap? <laughs> the, the question has been plaguing me all morning. So <laughs> <laughs> let's focus on the good. In your opinion, what was the peak of the NWO? Well, I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it ever went any higher than Hogan turning. I mean, when Hogan turned, that was, you know, that was kind of like, uh, the the pinnacle is to finally get you know the 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 ultimate babyface to turn heel. I remember watching that. That was, that was the tsunami. Yeah, that was the tsunami, and then it just kind of it after that. You know, it's just like how how far does this how does how does that wave go? 
you have to realize, you know, people always look at it and say, you know, wow, man, like, you know, you guys were over there in the NWO and before we left, like the pay-per-view before we got there, like Big Show was on top of Cobo Hall in a monster truck with Hogan. He went over the side like 11 stories and came back that night and him and the Yeti double bear hugged Hogan in the middle. <laughs> I mean, it I was unfortunately beyond, remember that very well. <laughs> yes. It was beyond rock. It wasn't like we were leaving. Like we, we were leaving the, the Queen Mary and getting on the Titanic as the three guys were deciding to stop playing. <laughs> so it wasn't like, I mean, we were going for money, period. We knew that we weren't going to get anything creatively. It just so happened that it's just, I guess God looked on and said, boy, these idiots, man, they don't know what they're doing. We've we got to get rid of this dungeon of doom. So that's how you guys looked at it. You, you really didn't go there for with the, the greener pastures creatively. Or anything no, like that. It was all, just all about the money. We, oh, no. We'd already been there. We knew exactly what that place was. But I hadn't worked for Eric. You know, I left before Eric had, had got, got into power. And, I mean, when, when Nitro started, like, you know, it was you know, from the Mall of America. It kind of had a cheesy feel, you know. But then all of a sudden, it was just, it kind of had a, I mean, they did have some stars. Then Lex jumped early, which I mean, it was it was a, it was a shocker to us because nobody knew that was going to happen. Then Randy shortly after that, you know, so it was just like you know, we had some defects before Scott and I ever did affected. But also, the WWE was as much a much you know, we were we were a private company, right? We were going against you know Turner, you know, who's used to paying the uh, utility infielder, you know, two point five, right. <laughs> I mean, he to, to, to dump a million, a million five on some guy that's going to give him, you know, 120 hours of original programming every year. It's like, okay, that sounds good to me. So, bank account notwithstanding, if I play a little game of what if, what's different in Kevin Nash's career? Should you have stayed with WWE and not gone to WCW? Well, if I would have stayed. I wouldn't have dropped the belt to Brett to give to Sean unless I was guaranteed to win it. Mania against Taker. Really? I wouldn't have done it. No, I would have had too many losses in a row. I would have needed a big win right there. So the, then there goes the streak. <laughs> the, the streak, referring to the Undertaker streak. The Undertaker's yeah, WrestleMania streak. I'm just saying but, butterfly effect. Mark Mark wasn't a mark. Sure. You know, he, he'd have done it. I mean, for, for me to do business, and it all, that could have been, that could have been a possibility. I'm not saying it would have happened. I'm not saying Vince would have booked it that I would have went over, but I de- like definitely wouldn't have coughed it up without something. I was leaving, so I mean, it was just like, all right. There's a lot of things that could have changed. Is there anything that, that you look back on at your time in WCW doing the NWO that I don't want to say regret, but sort of feel like you missed out on in the, in the WWE land? I mean, especially with the career of Shawn Michaels and whatnot. Well, it was one of those things like, I always thought that like we built a Saturn rocket, and then right before we decided to like take take off the moon, like Vince kicked us off the, the platform and said, "Got the capsules, I'll take <laughs> it from here." And you know because then because it, it was just it was as easy as Vince got smart to the fact that we had standards and practice breathing down our throat, and Vince just man just put the pedal to the metal. I mean, you know, you had Dal Venus with Jenna Jameson on on the program. You know, there was a lot of things all of a sudden. It, 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 Bishop said, we can't do any of this stuff. We got a guy in standards practice sitting in during the uh, 
creative process, shaking his head no, 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 no. So ultimately, the, the the big paycheck and the and the big corporation wound up being the the biggest enemy in the long absolutely. run. Absolutely, absolutely. At the same time, like if we don't cross those boundaries, does fence because everybody was an occupation when I left. I mean, you're a pig farmer, you're a TV repairman, you're a dentist, you were. You know, so we, all of a sudden we kind of took it and we kind of we made it a little bit. It had more of an organic feel. Guys were just guys. I think that whole shift of the business there, you know, was from a creative standpoint, it was just, it was, you know, guys fighting guys. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it was factions. The biggest mistake they did was the original uh, idea was to make it, to have the NWO grow to the point where we took over Nitro. WCW would get Thunder, and then we would, you know, we would battle back and forth, and eventually they would, they would, you know, slowly start to get guys to turn back to WCW, and then they would, you know, come back and, and, and inevitably take over their the, the flagship show. Well, when the, the, the two factions of the NWO split, there was never there was never a conflict between them. The Wolfpack never fought the white and black because, and then when we split, Hogan and Savage should have went one way, and Scott and I should have went the other. They split me and Scott up, which would have that that killed it. You know, Scott and I would never have split. We would have been together. But you know, there was, a, there was a lot of mistakes made along the way. But at the same time, you know, it's one of those things where. You get in that check every two weeks, you're like, eh. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it is, you know, it is a work. <laughs> Say one thing, I walk into my bank, everybody says, I'm Mr. Nash, so I guess I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a gr- that's a great way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, like, and I still, the thing is, like, I don't spend money, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I made money, I mean, it's, it's, it, it never got spent. You know, I drive an 05 Mustang with 111,000 miles. I got a 93 Bronco with 132,000 miles on it. I bought with a SummerSlam check. I don't buy nothing. I don't fit exotics. I mean, it's like, there's. I, I got some artwork that's worth some cash. I got a nice place on, on the water, but I don't spend no money. I'm going to have to t- start taking uh, financial advice from Big Sexy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anybody anybody that ever, ever, ever thought that, 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 that having a car... The only, the only thing a nice car gets you is is parked up front ballet wise. But if you slip the guy's scene note, then you, you don't have to have a Maybach. You know, you, you can pull up in a beater. <laughs> so obviously, you, you still keep an eye on things happening in the business. Um, in your opinion, yeah. what's some of the the biggest changes that you notice uh, from the product and the fans as, as a whole? I mean, just the pace, the, the pace of the work. I'm watching a clip on loop right now in my studio of NXT and it's Johnny Gargano and they're going a hundred miles an hour. And it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But at the same time, you know, and I went down there and watched, watched Lee work, um, a match down in NXT when I was down there for a week. And even though the guys are, are smaller that were, that were, that are working against some of the bigger guys, they're so tenacious and they buzz saw the guys that it's believable. Like they have good offense. You know, everybody has good offense. Where before, you know, it's just like it's just it's it's, it's such a different dynamic. And it's and you know, I was talking to Sean when I was down there, HPK, and he was just like, 
you want to go like, you know, you want to be like, you know, old, old school Louie. That kid, maybe if you slowed it down and told a story. Start slow and taper off. Yeah. And, you know, and they look at you like, no, man, because if I do that, everybody will blow by me. You mentioned Sean, and obviously Hunter's in the role that he's in. And how how does it feel to you personally to to walk into somewhere like the Performance Center as as an elder statesman, where at once upon a time you and the clique were sort of notorious within the business for for you know whatever exploits you had? How does it feel just personally to to sort of grown as a, as a person in the business like that? Sooner or later, everybody grows up. I mean, you know, it buffed the establishment because that's I mean that's kind of what you did. And it becomes a point in your life where, you know, you become a man and you become responsible. And especially when you become responsible to the point where people, if somebody, as soon as somebody looks at you and like when we were on our head, hey, day, we ran hard, man. We were, we thought we were rock stars. But, you know, when you, when you hit 40, all of a sudden it's just like, you know, you don't want an eight year old kid to look at you and say, oh, well, that's, that's the way you're supposed to be. You want, and then when you go around young talent, you know, you don't want to be, you know, the disrespect, you know, because, we weren't disrespectful. We were, we were assholes, you know. <laughs> but we were smart enough to, for the five of us to stick together, so you couldn't separate us. So when you got five guys and you're all kind of working as that was the whole thing, man. Like we we figured out a system that worked. So the three musketeers, it was five of us, and, and to this day, we're you can't separate us. I think it's just a different a different era, but at the same time, I remember. I don't know how many years ago it was when Paul just kind of told me his his concept and his idea, and he was he was talking about how you know we this this business was going to continue to evolve. And he says the biggest problem he said he says it's not finding talent, it's finding people that can do the production jobs. Right. Because shooting 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 you know sports entertainment is not like shooting NASCAR. It's not. That's one thing that, that I'll always say that no matter what happened during the wars, we were we were always outproduced by WWE. They killed us when they went into pay per views. The packages were movie movie trailer quality packages. Kerwin and Dunn and those guys. I mean, they would they would they would put sixteen hour days in. There were guys sleeping in cots in the production place in San Francisco. They they they, they weren't going to be outproduced, and they still will never be outproduced. Yeah, I go to WrestleMania, and it's a combination of the Super Bowl, Cirque du Soleil, Cecil B. DeMille film. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like this. I don't even know what it is. It's like this gala. It's it's the greatest event in live event. entertainment for a reason. You know? Yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's unbelievable. And, and and to 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 be there when it was WrestleMania ten was my first WrestleMania and, 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 and be in the garden and think that was like, like, wow, we're at Massport Garden. Now you walk in there and it looks like, you know, it's like you walk into the Sistine Chapel sometimes. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the production and that's, that's one of the most valuable parts about the partnership with Full Sail is the ability to train everyone from cameramen to directors to everybody to really sort of learn firsthand because, as you said, there's no substitute for what we do. Yeah, that was the whole thing with Turner. You know, when we were there, like the, you know, the guy that's shooting Monday Night uh, Nitro, you know, that next Saturday he's shooting Talladega. And you're wondering why they're missing shots. I remember when I came back, the last time I came back, and they were like, I was sitting, I went into the middle of the ring. I forget who it was from a production standpoint, but they were like, and then camera 19 is there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like, you're like, where's sweaty? <laughs> yeah. If, if, you, if you if you fill a red dot on you, that'll be the drone. <laughs> wow. After the bell, we'll be right back with more of Big Sexy. So, Kev, you're not busy with the business, but Big Sexy is obviously a busy man these days. What uh, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? I understand you're working on some more movie projects. I'm trying. I mean, it, it just, it's, I keep lying until I'm 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> Who would have thought being your size is actually a hindrance in Hollywood? Oh, God, a two-shot with me is just a nightmare. I remember the, when I first I did a couple of sitcoms, like three-camera sitcoms, and this old school director had been doing sitcoms for 25 years since and all my years of shooting sitcoms, he said, I've never shot off a set before. <laughs> he, said, she, some, she, she said, I'm shooting over the top of the set to get them in the shot. And if you watch like Brad Garrity, who's a couple inches shorter than I am on Everybody Loves Raymond, I mean, scene opens, he's sitting at the table, scene opens, he's sitting on the couch, scene opens, he's leaning against the counter. You know, like he, he, it's very hard for somebody that size to, you know, to just move freely. And he's on a show now that I think it's on NBC or something. I was just, I was flipping channels one night and I saw him in it. And I said, oh, wow. He said, it's, it's, it looks like in a sitcom. And I watched how they shot him. And it was just like, whoo, like, man, they worked hard not to make him dwarf the people. For a director, it's, you know, it's work to, to make somebody fit in, unless you're playing that role. You know, unless you're just playing and, and there's only so many when when they have a part for a dentist or a banker or a prosecutor, I don't think that they immediately go, you know, it would work right there as a six foot ten guy. <laughs> Fortunately, you did uh, fit the role in John Wick. Uh, did you have any yeah. idea that was going to blow up to be as, as big as it has? No. And the thing is, too, it's like. I think I'm probably one of three people that doesn't die in that, that franchise. <laughs> yeah. So I feel lucky for that. So I, I, people say, yeah, you were that guy that didn't die. Right. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Whatever works. How, how else are you keeping busy these days? I've been following you on uh, social media and I see your, your posts about the stem cells. Yeah. I did the stem cell thing. You know, the thing was, you know, I was, I was like, people always like, there was a reason I wore those long pants my entire career. I mean, I was, I was, I was so, I was destroyed from playing basketball before I even got into the business. And then after 27, 28, 29, whatever many years I did in the ring, I, I used to love when people say like, well, he doesn't have much of a move set. I'm thinking, dude, if you had my wheels, you couldn't pick up my bag. <laughs> I always, people say, will see me now, they'll see a picture of me and say, dude, you got one more run. I'm like, dude, I don't, have, I don't have a walk across the house. <laughs> no, I'm good. So you you mentioned the the word the word move set, which uh, if you you know read the internet, everyone's got an opinion on things. How how do you notice fans treat you now versus uh, you know when you were in your heyday and how fans view the business? Oh geez, I, I, now it's just like you know. Well, I actually watched some of his matches, and he could do plenty. <laughs> You built a Hall of Fame career on borrowed time. I mean, yeah. that's not that's so bad. I'm, a t- I'm one of eight guys that's going to be, be, be enshrined in the Hall of Fame two times. And I didn't take it seriously. I had three moves. Could you imagine if I had taken it seriously and had like 12 moves? <laughs> like, wow. I'm, go- I'm, get- I'm getting ready to go to uh, Qatar today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Have you been there before? I have not. 
I've seen photos. It seems beautiful. I've heard some good things. Yeah. I've been almost everywhere else. I've been, you know, like all through the Emirates, up into Dubai. I haven't, I've not been to Qatar. But, I mean, I, I get there at 6 o'clock at night on Wednesday, work Thursday and Friday, and fly back Saturday morning. So it's like, I ain't going to see nothing. We know that schedule. We're headed to Riyadh again next week. Oh, yeah. Back in time yeah. for SmackDown. <laughs> Hopefully. Yep, yeah. Hopefully we make yeah. it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just uh, I, I enjoy listening to you. Enjoy watching you. If you remember this, I think it was one of the funniest things. Is it was that Hall of Fame in uh, New Orleans, and Hillbilly Jim went like four hours to open it. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my knee replaced, man. I was just like, I I, I couldn't take it. I was going to throw up because I can't take any any pain medication. So I was ready to to vomit. So I had to, I had to go across to to the Hyatt, sit at the bar, and have a couple of vodka tonics. And I just slowly watched. His, and I remember you and I making eye contact. And I knew there was, you, you hung in there pretty good. I mean, there was a lot of the boys that came through. And finally, we, I just looked at you, we looked at each other, we made eye contact, and you just kind of like, we just shook our heads. And we, it was, nothing was said. It was just like, Boy, that was a long night. <laughs> it's just the understanding. I love this business as much as the next person, but I can only I can only listen yeah. to so much. <laughs> and I felt so bad for because you know, that was Bill Goldberg's night. You know that was yes. Bill's night, and it's it was it was horrible. You know, it was horrible because Bill, everybody like you know everybody bailed on Bill, and it wasn't nothing against Bill. It was just like. No, of course. I'm sorry. Luckily, yeah. starting this past year, they they've made some adjustments in in an effort yeah. to try to just trim it down a little bit. Yeah, no, it, it was it was so much better. Well, I'll make sure I run it up the ladder that you want this year to be as long as possible, and that the NWO shouldn't hit the stage before 1 a.m. I won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at the bar drinking the vodka tonic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm supposed to host the thing, and if that's the case, I might be sitting right next to you. So. Uh, I'll keep you, I'll keep you a stool. All right, I appreciate it. Well, thanks for your time, Kev. I will see you in Tampa in a few weeks. All right, see you, buddy. I want to thank my guests once again, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. I could have sat here all day and chopped it up with those dudes, but they're busy. They're doing Hall of Fame stuff, two-time Hall of Famer stuff, which I imagine is significantly more difficult than just one-time Hall of Fame stuff. But that's not going to stop me from leaving you with a little zen from the one and only Scott Hall himself, or should I say Razor Ramon, during his WWE Hall of Fame induction speech. He said, hard work pays off, dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. There's some zen for you, courtesy of the bad guy. I am full of it. Make sure you follow at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Send us your thoughts using the hashtag After the Bell. And I know I've said this a bunch, but if you're an Apple Podcast user and you haven't left us a review yet, please throw me five stars. I swear it helps. We need to get the word out. We need everyone to be enlightened like you, the listeners. If you're listening on an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts so you never miss a thing and should you feel so inclined you can follow me at wwe graves i'll be back next week with more wisdom more vitriol and more wwe after the bell this 
This has been an original WWE podcast. G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.